house, existing somewhere between the quantum foam and your wildest imagination. This is Flashpoint Theater. of flash fiction pieces from all walks of life, genres. We have three interesting pieces in our debut episode this go-around, so we hope you stick with us as we will uh, commence with our first piece. Flash in a Puddle October 2038 Phoenix, Arizona The arid desert breeze wove its way in among the towering steel monoliths of the downtown district and brought the rolling thunder with it. A violent burst of light in the thunderclouds briefly illuminated Ryder's black leather cowboy hat and long matching duster. The muscular assassin heaved himself off of his Harley and strode down the blind alley to meet his prey. You know why I'm here, he said from behind his orange burning cigarette. His face was masked by the brim of his hat in three days' stubble. You don't understand, the figure across the alley said. This is just a big misunderstanding. The assassin took a long drag off of his hand-rolled smoke and blew a small cloud of white out into the strengthening wind. That's not what the cloud court said, Ryder contested. They pegged you as an embezzler, fourteen million to be precise. The biker walked to within a few paces of his contract. He drew the right side of his duster back in a swift stroke, revealing a pistol strapped to his outer thigh. I'm feeling philanthropic tonight, Ryder said. So we're going to do this like gentlemen. But I told you, Larkin said, holding up his hands. I'm innocent. Somebody has framed me. I'm not the judge or your jury, the assassin said. A thin line of smoke snaked up around the brim of his headpiece. The biker unstrapped the forty-five on his thigh and handed it over to the lean middle-aged gent. Put that on your hip, he stated in a mellow tone. We're going to step off to thirty paces and then do this. His contract did as he was instructed. His slender fingers fumbled with a worn silver clip at his belt. Come on, Larkin said. I've got a wife and three little kids. you, you got to reconsider. The cowboy was silent as he backed away from his prey. The rumble overhead radiated down into the earth beneath his boots. When I say draw, you go for your widowmaker, the emotionless man said. Don't you have a boss or someone that I can appeal this to? You knew I was coming, and why. That doesn't make this whole judgeless law system right. They're your tax dollars, too. The killer's steady hand hovered over the walnut grip of his favorite replica revolver. Ryder could sense the fear in the worried man's eyes. They were wide, begging for a recount. 
Another clap of thunder was quickly followed by a deluge that soon gathered in the indentations in the battered alley. Draw! The lanky banker didn't have a prayer, and Ryder knew it. Before Larkin could even manage to wrap his ghostly hand around the grip, the assassin had already plugged him with his sentence. The loner strode over to his victim, who now quaked upon the weakening knees in the alley. A line of bright red fluid slithered down the bridge of Larkin's nose and onto the street. Ryder stood in front of his contract, waiting to ensure that he was good and gone. The banking executive's horrified face fell into a puddle with a cold plop. The distant wail of sirens told the seasoned assassin that it was time to depart. The path for you is decided, Ryder said as he reclaimed his weapon. Another bolt of fury cracked across the Arizona skies as the stranger mounted his bad boy, fired it to life, and rode off away from the growing sirens. Another little drama with a twist, entitled Between Us. The daylight shimmered upon the whitewashed surface of the table in his booth. Jake's blue stare was lost in the possibility of how this moment might play out. He leaned back into the soft leather bench of his place at the diner and awaited the arrival of his biological father. Another cup of coffee? The young waitress asked, gliding up to him. Yeah, thanks, Jake said. He ran his nervous hand through his short brown locks. He had been waiting for this moment for practically half of his life. Jake had been raised by his mother. She never had found the strength or the courage to remarry, nor have other children. So, it was just Jake and her taking life one day at a time on their lavish ranch. The ranch was what started this long inquisition for Jake. He had been eight at the time. He poked and prodded his mom about how they could afford such a big house, why she never worked, and what his father was like. All of those dodged questions and a few shreds of truth that Jake could squeeze out of her had led him to this forgotten diner out in the middle of nowhere. A tall, husky man lumbered into the hole in the wall. His face was sunburned and dirty. The black beard and mustache masked his expression. Jake turned to meet his father's stare. He knew this was the right person. It's like he was staring into his own sky-blue eyes. After rubbing it off on his dusty jeans, the man stretched out a wrinkled and calloused right hand. Jake, the man said. The teen nodded as he placed his tender palm into his father's. I'm Mike, he said, sliding into the vacant side of the booth. Mike Peterman. Jake, was all he could manage. His apprehension overwhelmed him. I suppose that there are a thousand things that you'd want to ask. 
Jake heaved a heavy sigh. Where did one start when finally confronted with the other half of their genetic makeup? Where the hell have you been? Why didn't you call? Or write? Shit, something. Mike leaned forward on his elbows, nodding at the waitress to fill his cup as she passed. Listen, Jake, he said. There are a lot of things that you don't understand about me. Things that I never fully grasp. The 17-year-old's eyes pierced those of his father through the steam of his coffee. Try me, Jake said. I wanted to be a part of your lives, but I couldn't. Why? Was someone holding a gun to your head? The aging man set his face upon his palms. Not exactly. I agreed not to have any contact with either of you. You what? Jake slapped his open hand down on the table's smooth surface. Why would you agree to something like that? It's complicated. Really? Complicated? The youth's temper was flaring up. You're my father. How in the hell could you do something so ridiculous? It's not like that, Jake. Are you my dad? I came all the way out here to meet you. You owe me that much at the very least. I'm not your father, Jake. The young man's shoulders slumped. His lower jaw followed not far behind. But the records all showed we have the same eyes. Mike took a swig of his brew and set the cup down. I'm not your dad, Jake, he repeated, staring into the boy's matching azure gaze. I am you. episode. It's an Aces Avery detective mystery entitled Cold as Ice. The name's Avery. Ollie Avery. But my pals call me Aces. It's because of my initials, see? A little about me? Well, I served out in the Pacific during the war. Wasn't much in the line of work once I got home, so I became a private eye. Listen, if you're going to be my new partner, then you're going to have to be fast on your feet. I'll give you a rundown of my most recent case. We'll see if you got what it takes. I'd received a call from one Martha Berlady last week. The dame was all frantic and going on about some missing merchandise. She and her hubby owned a stick in an upscale jewelry store down on the richy side of town. They've taken them all, she shouted into the phone. She was referring to a collection of rare diamonds that her husband and his two other business partners had acquired and valued at well north of two million big ones. I started to ask if she had any idea of who would want them, but then who wouldn't want two million bucks? So... I asked Miss Blady to come down to my office, answer some questions. Do you know of anyone who'd want to undermine you? I asked her. She still seemed a little rattled by it all. Her hands trembled as she responded. No. Anyone who wants revenge? She shook her head. 
I got one of the best reputations in town, she muttered, brushing her brown bangs back behind her ear. How did it happen, Miss Blady? We were up in the office, going over the daily reports when the power went out. Uh-huh. About when was that? I'd say seven. I could tell that this interview was getting me nowhere fast. So I decided to head on over to the store to talk to the security guard on duty that night. Fred was a lean, tall fella, mid-thirties, had a wife, a kid, and no clue. Fred said that he always sat in his chair down the hall from the vault next to the stairs. What about the service elevator? I asked him. It's only for the bosses and the cleaning staff, he said in his country drawer. The staff only has access to the main floor and the offices. Did they get the combination to the vault? Maybe, he said, shrugging. Swell, real swell. Fred had informed me that he'd been asleep in his chair on the night in question. He said that the rickety boards on the stairs usually woke him up if anyone came down. I thanked Fred for his cooperation and decided to head upstairs to question the owners. Stan Blady, Rich Hartman, Jim Shanks owned the place. He said that Shanks was over in Europe someplace on business. I pulled the other two aside in the hall one at a time to hear their sides of the story. Stan said that he'd closed up the shop as usual that night and had taken the elevator down to check on Fred around five after seven. No one else was there and everything was as it always was. Rich said that he'd stayed up in the office to file some reports to prepare for the nightly bank deposit. I asked him how long Shanks had been away. Rich said almost a week. He confessed that he'd had a slight gambling problem, but that he'd never steal anything. I thanked them both for the time and headed back here out of the office. I felt that I had cracked this case wide open. So there you go, gumshoe. If you've been following along and paying attention to the details, then you've got this one solved as well. In the time that it would have taken us to grab some grub at the Gidunk, should have come been able to solve this case. Well, tune in next time for the debrief of this crime as well as our next mystery. Well, there you have it, dear listeners. The end of our first episode. So I'd suggest you do as the man said. Tune in next time. We'll have three more great episodes for you to listen to. In the meantime, go to our homepage where you can view the notes from this episode as well as the credits. Until the next time, see you on the other side. This has been Flashpoint Theater. Communication.